Anyway. <laughs> anyway, okay. Anyway, um, we uh, now now we have to provide context for what just happened. That we are not, you know, we're we're cutting the the first. Not part necessarily, of right? Anyway, is a great segue word. That's, just that's like okay, just like do. just ignore. Anyway, um, we we just we started recording. There were some uh, mishaps, and now we are moving on. Yes, okay, great. We were also exploring Zoom's new audio features, which they apparently slipped in without, well, without many well, people I'm, noticing. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, anyway, <laughs> for lack of a better transition, Jesus Christ. Um, I mean, yeah, there is. Maybe an elephant in the room that maybe we should address about uh, future episodes. Yeah, Asian which... dwarf elephant, not like a not like an, a giant African elephant. Surely, you know, it's one of the smallest. <laughs> yeah, it's mean... more aggressive, but it's it's smaller in size. Right. Um, I mean, I I I I trust you on that. I don't know anything about. I don't know anything about pachyderms. Uh, right, yes, pachyderms. Um, <laughs> but basically, I think. The, you can kind of see that the frequency of publishing of episodes has uh, started spacing out, and part life of that, gets in the way. Yeah, it's just that we are very busy, and this is not a super high priority for either of us. It's. So, I mean, we have. We have. Yeah, I think life is getting challenging for for all of us at this point. I mean, um, yes, you are reaching, you're approaching your final year. You are in your final year. No, right? okay. I, I don't think I'm in my final year. The problem <laughs> with American PhDs is that they tend to drag and drag. I am yes. trying to finish within about a year and a half. Ah, okay. Um, so I, I have published one chapter. I have maybe two or three more chapters to write. Right. Um, but I think the timeline is still about a year and a half away. A year is going to be very challenging. Uh, right. It's going to require a level of focus and discipline that I, I frankly do not have. Okay. <laughs> um, no, but it's also because, you know, the, I mean, my data collection is starting to come to an end, right? I spent the whole of last, the, the first half of this year, uh, in the field, right? Catching mm-hmm. birds, getting DNA samples. So that is one big to-do thing on my list that's out of the way and now the the focus is sort of buckling down and getting that data sequenced and analyzed and so it's going to be a fun period um uh i'm i'm now trying to ramp up sort of productivity to you know push up multiple papers as quickly as possible um, so that i can graduate with her. And, and this is the thing about 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 uh, stem fields right it's it's really publish or perish mm-hmm. i think probably it's the same in the humanities which i can't speak for but basically you know if you're applying for a postdoc, you're applying for jobs, post-PhD, they're going to be looking at your publication record and go, well, you know, what have you to show for four to six to eight to ten years worth right. of research at an institution? Right. Um, and and obviously, you know, they would prefer if you had already published material rather than just, you know, drafts, put it this way. Right. I mean, like, the PhD is literally just the price of admission. The real thing that you're being judged on when you apply for a job is the CV. Output. Yeah, your yeah. output, basically. Right, so I, I I, mean, I have one paper that's been now just over two months in review and I'm, I'm told this is normal for this journal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Pub, science is slow, right? It takes a long time to do the science. It takes a long time to get the stuff that you've done published as well. So it's, it's just challenging. Mm. 
Yeah. That's something interesting, um, which, okay, maybe we can park the, the question for later because I've, I've kind of constantly, um, read or heard or I, I don't know why I have this impression. I'm getting it from somewhere that, um, you know, you mentioned like you are not familiar with, with what the, the, kind of guidelines are in the humanities I mean neither am I right but it's like you know for STEM fields it tends to be papers for mm. humanities the expectation seems to books. be that yeah books that so from what I hear some places require like okay so if you want to apply for a tenure track position or if you're applying for a tenure you need at least two books from right. reputable publishers so not Routledge uh, <laughs> okay right uh, ideally not Springer uh, mm-hmm. you want something like Oxford like University, University Press, Press. Yeah. Yale University Press, Cambridge University Press, that sort of stuff, yes. Right. Then um, the interesting thing is that I've heard that in computer science, the measure is not journal publications, it's conference. Um, oh. What, what's the term? Conference? Abstracts, conference presentations, really? Presentations? Yeah, and I, um, oh. I'm, I'm not really familiar with the details, Huh. But the impression, again, that I get from this is that it's because computer science as a field moves so fast. Right, they can't right, right. really wait for the journal turnaround. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 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 So, so I would have thought it would be like abstract. Uh, I thought would have thought it would be like patents or softwares published, but I guess I get it. or GitHub comments. <laughs> uh, it's okay. So this is an interesting topic that we will not get into right now, but uh, it is absolutely not. GitHub commits. Um, <laughs> so I requests. Mean, I, I'll, I'll say like in my in my universe of software consulting, there's been some hubbub recently because oh. um, because McKinsey published a report on developer effectiveness, mm-hmm. and um, I think most people who you know most because McKinsey are not software consulting specialists, right? No, they're not. Yeah. Yeah. So I think most people who um, work in the field of uh, software consulting and who work in like engineering management in general um, have been very derisive, partly because, <laughs> um, partly because it's like, how do you measure productivity, right? Yep. Uh, which is hard enough, you know, in most fields, but in knowledge fields, which it comes back actually to this argument about like how do you measure a researcher but um, how do you measure a developer's productivity because a lot of your traditional measures are very easy to they, they are not good measures so it's like it's Goodhart's law right mm-hmm. which is that the moment that you make something a target it ceases to be a measure yes correct. Um Let's put that in the show notes. But then there's also the fact that in knowledge work, right, you don't have very good proxies for yep. to represent to represent um, progress of yes. any kind. And so, yes. like for example, uh, there is this incredible Dilbert comic um, about. Um, I. I mean, I, I don't know what, how to describe what it's about, which makes it difficult because I don't know how to search for it. Obviously, leaving aside the fact that Scott Adams is a, is a massive asshat. Yes, exactly. Uh, let's leave that part aside. Mm-hmm. But it is, you know, it's your standard three-panel Dilbert comic, right? Yes. And then the first yes. panel says, like, you know, it's the pointy-head boss saying, like, from now on, 
um, developers will be paid based on how many bugs they fix. Mm-hmm. And then the second panel is all the three of them, right? Alice, Dilbert, and yep. what's Wally? I can't remember his name. Um, Wally, yes. Yeah. Adding bugs. Yeah, it's fix. the three of them going like, they're <laughs> celebrating and going, we'll be rich. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then I don't remember the third panel, but it's irrelevant. Yes. <laughs> because, yeah. Well, and then, that is the other elephant in the room. Yes, correct. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, um, so you cannot measure developer productivity based on bugs. Yep. You cannot measure based on, uh, another common measure of, you know, like tracking work done is something called story points. And it, I've heard of that. Yeah. What the fuck is that? Okay. We don't have to get into, we don't have to get okay. into what, what, what Developer that is. jargon. Yes. Um, but it's essentially, uh, an estimate that you put on, on a feature, right? Or right. a piece of work to kind of represent like how much effort it takes. Right. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. It's essentially just a measure. And I mean, because different teams will, will, have a different idea of what you know and it, it it's not uh, an absolute measure it's not an absolute measure like days yeah. right it's not like this 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 is going to take two days to finish um, sure. yep. so the idea is that it kind of well it's kpis it, it is a form of um i i would actually so this is again goodhart's law in action right <laughs> the intention is not kpis the intention is projection mm so, because just for practical purposes, you need to be able to um, have an estimate, right, of like you, this 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 stream of work. When is it going to be done? Yes. Right, because there are other teams that you know marketing needs to know when this thing is going to go live. The salespeople need to know what. What well, they need to know, but they will make they will they will tell the clients whatever the client wants to know anyway. <laughs> Well, I mean, without getting into that part of it, but there are basically other teams that that need to know when something will be done. And so this is one way, one approach to producing the estimate. But then again, Goodhart's Law, right? Like, um, there there is a big difference between measurement and target. So, again, (laughs) it's like... I, I read this somewhere I don't know who said it first But it's It's probably irrelevant Who said it first Right But It's like In a team That makes A certain number Of story points The target Right Remember that story points Are estimated By engineers The same engineers Who are going to Produce The work So mm. It's like Every you know, The comment was like uh, Every engineer Knows how to play that game <laughs> right if you if you need to hit a certain number of story points per week then guess what you will just have a story point explosion yes right yes right because yep. yeah then um the why i bring up this whole discussion is you mentioned number of commits yes. and in the mckinsey report right they basically say oh how do you measure God. productive uh, uh, developer um effectiveness and, um, you know, they, they basically say, like, certain measures um, are very easy to game. So, for example, if you try and measure productivity based on um, number of commits, then developers will just make smaller and smaller commits. So, 
the problem with this is okay firstly firstly is it true I mean yes it's true <laughs> if you are going to do something as dumb as measure productivity uh-huh. based on number of commits then absolutely you're going mm-hmm. to get smaller and smaller commits yes but um, this is a problem for measuring developer effectiveness if that is what you are trying to do which is again a different discussion but is it a bad thing to have small commits is the real question <laughs> right <laughs> and generally it is not a bad thing to have small commits because right if you have when you have small commits right you have a you have more record. checkpoints that you can roll back to correct so you have a record of work mm. that is more atomic that's mm. one thing um so just on a practical purpose basis when you say like yeah yes you have more checkpoints that you can roll back to but also from a point of view of overall effectiveness it is probably a good thing because one of the biggest pain Mm. points is integrating big chunks of code yeah right um into a code base and the smaller these integrations are the less likely that they will cause problems and the earlier that you're going to catch problems because yes. if you are just bringing in like hundreds or thousands of lines of code into a code base mm-hmm. at a time it is going to cause bugs it is going to cause like merge conflicts because you know th- th- the higher the chance that somebody else will have been working on the same chunk of code right yeah. so um, yeah. and I mean when you when you work off a remote you can't you can't um, push code unless you have the most updated version of that branch, right? So yes, I mean there are other assumptions that are baked in here, like you're assuming that you're all working on the same branch, which is not true of a lot of teams. But that's a different that's a different discussion altogether. We are like I don't really want to get into like a work discussion. Like you Oof. know there are entire podcasts that are dedicated to to this topic for people Absolutely. who are who are like deep into engineering management and I do not want yes. to you know this is not like, that kind of this is not that kind of conversation shall we say Sunday I can think about it tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, yeah yes interesting I mean no that is yeah. an interesting point yeah that, that maybe smaller commits are better I, I, I agree with you on that and I'm trying my best to do smaller commits as well not, not, not as if my GitHub is particularly active right now I'm Right. I'm pausing software development for the time being. I do have ideas. So I, you know, I wrote that software to, to estimate how islands change, uh, with sea level change. And, um, I have ideas for V2, but I have, I think, way too many things on my plate now. And that's going to have to take a back seat while I dissertate on other things. Right. Shall we say. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But going back to, um, you know, metrics, right? And in, in academia, I mean, I guess, yeah, so in the humanities, at least for tenure, they're looking at books. Um, I think for engineers, it's number of patents. Okay. Right? Interesting. Yes. And of course, for behavioral scientists, it's number of retractions. Um. <laughs> Do we want to get into that? <laughs> oh, I, I want to open that can of worms right open, All wide right. open. You know? It is, it is, a, I mean, it is a very salient topic in academia. I mean, academic, academics love a good, a good horror story, so. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was not able to find the, um, 
like the exact like number or the date of um of um oh, god where is it of of that particular um comic strip that I'm talking about um but I found it in a list of medium posts right about uh, and sorry uh, in a medium post there is a list of Dilbert strips um ah. about engineering management right i see i see i can yeah. Yeah, fair enough i can see why someone would take the time to curate a list specifically yes. about this very niche topic yes that's entirely i mean very on brand for engineers as well which is uh... <laughs> <laughs> um i mean i'm 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 curious about who this person is to be honest so uh unfortunately they've uh a name that brings up about like 20 hits on LinkedIn so I cannot tell ha. Ha. but uh, yeah okay never mind I, I give up looking for the for the background <laughs> of this person um, but yeah there, I mean we I, have I'm, talked about controversies before you know yeah, we've talked I'm, about I'm this not fight. going to put in the McKinsey link if you're curious Fair. you can Google I, it I, I guess the, and yes. the less exposure I have to McKinsey the better I think um, <laughs> okay for my sanity <laughs> I understandably. Um, so, the the reference that you made to behavioral scientists and retractions, retractions. I mean, this is an important question: is it higher better or lower better? <laughs> no, no. Re- you you want zero? Well, okay. No, retractions obviously come in various forms, right? You can have people who retract data because they realize they made a mistake in analysis mm-hmm. and. I've seen colleagues do this. They realize, like, you know, after publication, like, oh shit, we fucked something up in our, either in the way we recorded the data or the way we analyzed the data set. So we better retract the paper. Right. There are retractions for political reasons, which I shall not go into, but, uh, you know, when state governments get involved in scientific research, things can get politically hairy. Um, but then, of course, there are retractions when you, you falsify data and someone catches you and forces the journal to retract. But unfortunately, the way science is built or the publishing industry or the or science in general is built right now is that such retractions take a very, very long time mm. and they are very difficult to get through. Because, you know, sure, okay, we found one paper where the data was falsified. Now we have to slowly comb through every single other paper and check right. the math check the data you know and that just requires so much time that there is a small cottage industry built around sort of you know checking uh, uh, published work for yep. for for falsification like there is this one lady I can't remember her name now uh, but she specializes in detecting uh, duplicated images in okay. scientific publications <laughs> and I mean, it is quite uh, I mean because there are many techniques for data falsification there are also different um, specialists, essentially. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. yeah. Oh, Elizabeth Big—that's her name. She okay. has. She's just basically become like the queen of detecting, uh, uh, you know, like manipulated images. Because you know, and, and the thing is, this right? Many of these cell cell biologists will try to. Yeah, you know, if, if just to get the, 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 the results they want, they'll just, oh, let's, you know, Photoshop essentially our image to make it look like we want to see. 
and and you know she has become really 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 good at, at detecting these things and and even in many cases where it's shown with you know beyond a shred of reasonable doubt that this is the case some journals will still drag their heels and and say you know we need to wait for the original authors to respond to this before we can come to a decision on that so it's complicated right okay so maybe we should provide some context because we were just ah, yes. we're beating into, around the bush yes correct yeah we we'll just dive straight into the actual topic um so i i actually debated, allegedly i actually debated which link to put in the show notes because mm. um it has been covered in a lot of places at this point but uh, in a lot of places there's like bits and bobs of information um so Oh, I, I put in the link where I first heard about it, which is very late, actually, because this has been, for people in the know, this is a, an investigation that's been going on for nearly two years. Um, yes. Uh, actually, longer, if you want to talk about the, or the very, f- the first retraction, which is actually saying something. This is a paper that has been retracted twice. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, a real achievement, really. A yeah. real achievement, yes. So, um, in the field of behavioral science, right? Okay, it, which is it sounds so dumb to say it, right? But it is a field of research about how humans behave and respond to incentives. Um, it's basically applied applied psychology for business majors. I mean, you can put it that way, but to be. <laughs> To, I mean, to be to be absolutely fair, right? You do have people who have worked on, like De- um, Daniel Kahneman, Richard Taylor, yes, Taylor, right, yeah. Richard Taylor, right? Who Richard are, Taylor, yeah, yeah. Who are with one um, Nobel prizes for this? Yeah, Richard. Both Taylor of them have really, won Nobel prizes, yeah. and as far as we know, like, and, and, and as far as I'm aware, their work has been replicated. So, yes. you know, there is legit stuff that's happening, right? But then there are some other superstars in the field. Um, two of which, two of whom you may or may not have heard of, um, Dan Ariely and Francesca Gino, whose work has been questioned uh, for many reasons. Initially, uh, it was because it didn't replicate. So um, NPR, which is where I first heard about this, right? Because NPR, the reason NPR would cover behavioral science. Oh, okay. No, mm. I shouldn't say NPR. I mean, NPR covers everything. Uh, yes. I heard this about this on Planet Money specifically, which yes. is the NPR podcast about economics. And mm. the reason that they would cover this is because they cover a lot of behavioral economics, right? So they've they've interviewed Richard Thaler. Uh, I keep saying Thaler because his, the name is obviously German. Um, <laughs> That's right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they've interviewed yeah. Richard Taylor, who... Um, <laughs> Who actually like is is quite funny because you know he's what is behavioral economics right because in economics it is uh, I mean I I took like like three weeks of economics <laughs> so I've I, done I, zero so yeah you're I, way I ahead know, of me like, by three the weeks the very very beginning right but it's like you know you go into I mean I I I, I took it for like. A very short period of time in JC before I gave up on it. But you, it's it's like when you go into class and then the the, the teacher is like, "Hey, what is economics? Let's talk about it." You know, <laughs> and so it is the study of humans 
making decisions, aka the study of human behavior in a sense, right? Yes. Um, and and yes, they frame it as I mean, we kind of associate economics with money, but that's really just because money is so often involved in measuring trade-offs, right? Mm-hmm. Which is what you're doing when you make decisions. And um, there, you're also very early on introduced to Homo economicus. Yes, of course. Which the ideal is, human being. Yes, the ideal, perfectly economically rational human being mm-hmm. who, you know, always measures... Uh, accurately measures uh, the cost and the benefit of something, yes. which of course is impossible, right? Insane. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. I mean, you are essentially okay. So, I mean, in a very simple example, when we talk about a very simple concept such as marginal benefit. Um, it's kind of like, hey, why is it that you know um, people don't tend to people will pay more money for water in the desert right because then it's like you know the marginal benefit of drinking water in the desert is much higher but like how much higher like three dollars higher i mean who who decided that so you don't have um you don't have perfect information when you are you know actual human beings don't have perfect information and don't have perfect again measurements don't have perfect ways of assessing um value but also are also um, just not wired to do it so Richard Taylor who um, as a as a PhD student as a young researcher right as a early career researcher essentially um, moved towards behavioral economics because all his all his you know predecessors were like hey homo economicus you know, this is how we shall do economics research. And he was like, that's ridiculous. Shut up. <laughs> Go over. <laughs> yeah, who is this, who is this person? Who is this perfect, eco- rational, economically <laughs> rational person? Like, I don't see this in actual human behavior. If you're talking about economics as a study of human behavior, right? Um, and so he's kind of like, um, known for research such as, for example, if you are, um, so the the one way to put it right is let's say I'm giving somebody a gift and um, I know that this person right has said before that they would really like uh, uh, what, what would be an appropriate gift uh, this particular bottle of wine I'm just going to make this up okay and this bottle of wine is like fifty dollars Okay, so um, you have two options, right? You can take the bottle of wine, buy it, and then give it to the person. Or you can say, hey, I know you really want this bottle of wine. How about I give you $50 and you go treat yourself? (laughs) Right. Homo economicus would say these two things are equivalent. That's right. But They're topologically the same as a mathematician. (laughs) Yeah, you can think of it that way, yes. But Richard Taylor... (laughs) in his research basically found that no, this is not how people regard it. They will happily accept the bottle of wine, right? Right. But if you say (laughs) that the bottle of wine is worth $50, 
it should be is essentially fungible with any other $50 that the person receives. Ah, yes. Right. But that's not the case. If you give that person $50, they will almost definitely not spend it on the bottle of wine. Right? So they are not functionally equivalent or not economically equivalent. And there's a funny story when uh, NPR interviewed Richard Taylor and uh, I think this was after he won his Nobel Prize and Mm. he was saying that um, he wanted to is this exact scenario he wanted to treat his daughter for her birthday um, by buying her tickets to a baseball game but he couldn't actually get the tickets himself so he wired her the money for it and said go treat yourself Ah. and his daughter replied you of all people should know not to do that (laughs) (laughs) Turn about is fair play There we go Yeah (laughs) Yeah Very good Very good I mean she was well taught (laughs) This is the risk of academics Raising smart children You know They become too smart (laughs) Yeah Yeah Anyway So that is Behavioral economics Yes Done Properly Assuming that Richard Taylor doesn't have you know, fraud retractions future in his career, but that's a different well. He story. seems he, his his research record seems solid as far as I yes. can Yes, yeah. So um, again, listening because I listen to a lot of Planet Money. Uh, it is like one of the staples in my podcast rotation. Um, because Planet Money covers behavioral economics, right? They caught on or they caught on to this story relatively early in the news they cycle. Caught on indeed. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um. Basically, these two researchers, Dan Arely of Duke and um, Francesca Gino of Harvard Business School, um, they've been publishing in this field, right? Yes. And recently, um, Dan Arely has already been under suspicion for for, for all of other reasons, but um, recently Francesca Gino also came under serious... I, I wouldn't even say it's serious scrutiny. That's... That is underselling it at this point. She was ah. placed on administrative leave, mm. right, mm. by Harvard. And, um. Pet her, following or, or because of an internal review that they conducted. Right, right? Because, Not because of, of the, the fall. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the, yeah. The, the fallout happened after the results of the internal review. So the internal review has been going on for like months, over a year even at this point. Um, and it started in 2021. Mm. Basically, when um, Data Collada, right, is um, this another one of these specialists? Essentially, it's a it's a, it's a consortium. Three, yeah, yeah. It's three researchers um, who also work in business schools, all of them, uh, and they are looking at papers that have fabricated, or they 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 are they get tipped off, right, to papers that have suspicious data or whatever and then they look at they, they look to see whether they can find uh, evidence of this of you know manipulated data which you might say like yeah. you know there is no null hypothesis here you're going in with this idea that it's falsified mm. but but there are, there is some um, there are there statistical are some, tools for assessing this anyway yeah exactly there are statistical tools so um, the the initial retraction of there's this one paper that was co- that had five co-authors, 
So it's Dan Arely, Francesca Gino, Nina Mesa, Lisa Shu, and Max Bazerman. Mm. Um, I'm I don't know how to pronounce Bazerman. Bazerman? I don't know. Um, or Mesa for that matter. Anyway, um, there were a number of studies or a number of experiments conducted in that paper. And one of them concerns, um, concerns, one of them uses data from car insurance, from a car mm. insurance company called, um, the Hartford. Yes. And the data that was provided, right, includes, um, odometer readings, right? So how much people have driven. And that data, you would expect that kind of data to be a, a bell curve. Yes. Right? But it's not. It's a mm-hmm. linear distribution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like, mm-hmm. why? Like, <laughs> so that is, you know, like, regardless of what your null hypothesis is, that's kind of yep. incriminating, right? I mean, well, anyone, expl- any, any reasonable scientist or social scientist or whatever who was exploring the data would have immediately caught an issue with this. Yeah, exactly. This is why we tell students to explore your data before you even run a linear regression. Right. Right. Right? Look at your scatter plot first. Does it make sense to fit a linear regression to it in the first place? Right. I mean, I I, I, I believe you because I've never been told this because I don't work Fair. in statistical fields. Right. <laughs> I, I, you know, as, a, as, a, as an educator who has spent the last two weeks teaching statistics, like really simple statistics, you know, you need to explore your data. You need to at least visualize your data, maybe plot some summary statistics before you even run a model. Because, uh, you know, I, uh, every, I, everyone says I abuse this risk, but it's garbage in, garbage out, right? Mm, yeah. If your data is garbage, your model is going to be garbage. Yeah, yeah. Simple as that. If you have clear outliers in your data that are not, you know, that could be chalked down to measurement error, then you know, your your analysis is going to be fucked up, right? I mean, I, I literally just ran this lab this week with my students, which was very fun. We got to um, measure plants and, uh, uh, you know, because this is like a huge class and I'm only teaching a small section of it, we uh, we, we had them upload data through Google Forms. And so because it's a bit clunky, you, have, you know, every single measurement we make it to submit the form, there will be typos, Right, there will be transcription errors. There will be all kinds of funny shenanigans. And so, you know, I I got students to collect the data, and then I said, okay, now let's analyze the data. Right, we're going to run some simple like t tests and all that stuff. And, and 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 I said, okay, so you know, let's maybe clean up the data. And really, that's sort of when you really see how you know uh, uh, these errors can can easily be found. Right, like we're measuring plants with you know but this, we're measuring the stem the stem diameter of plants mm-hmm. uh, and this plant is a you know it's a tiny brassica rapa plant so like the stem is maybe half a centimeter to one uh, maximum 0.75 centimeters thick right and then one student managed to uh, uh, key in a measurement with like 3.6 cm thickness so i had okay. literally had to pull up pull up the calipers and pull it to 3.6 centuries ago does anyone have a plant that looks like this because if you do tell me now because that plant is you know of the devil right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's an abomination against the lord and um and so you know that really sort of hammered in this idea that you have to sanity check your data for mistakes right, right. because mistakes happen right yeah so 
what I just described, the one with the linear distribution, that was in the study mm. by Dan Ariely. Yes. Because that essentially what happened, or my understanding of that paper is that you know there are, there are five researchers on that paper, uh, and what they did was they found they were researching in about similar things, right? And so they combined their disparate experiments into a single paper, and so each individual experiment uh, may have only been touched by one or two co-authors. So Dan really was responsible for the car insurance one. Francesca Gino was responsible for a different one. Um, and this one has to do with, let's see. Uh, I mean, I'm just like looking at Data Colada right now. And it's like... Uh, so... It's like participants received a worksheet with 20 math puzzles and were offered $1 for each puzzle they reported to have solved correctly within five minutes. Mm. Um, and then the everything in this paper is about whether signing and sign, you, you know how you usually sign documents at the end, right? Yeah. So everything in this paper is about like, if you sign at the beginning, does that um, incentivize you to be more honest? Yeah. Rather incentivize because yeah. there's no incentive, mm. but does it prime you to be more Sorry. honest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus signing at the end when you may have mm. already committed the fraud, as it were. So, <laughs> um, this the is alleged the, fraud. That's it. The was. alleged fraud, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so um, that's 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 what Gino's paper was about, and yes. um, one of the the. The, the things that Data Colada found was that the Excel file, right? I mean, when you use, when you process data with Excel, you're going to sort it, you're going to filter it, you're going to do whatever. But the, the Excel file had data in an order that didn't make sense. Mm. You don't get to this result by sorting by any of the columns, by sorting by the participant number, by sorting by major, any of that that kind of stuff mm-hmm. right and um, there is also a participant that appears twice <laughs> um, yeah and then there are people that appear out of sequence okay mm-hmm. and then you're like okay well, what's the big deal like maybe mm-hmm. they copied and pasted wrongly or whatever or they, yeah. they it was entered in a, you know like papers were shuffled and then they just like, yeah mistakes happen right, right? Sure. yeah exactly um, and the problem is that these out of order observations right these anomalous ones they are entirely responsible for the effect. Yes. Okay. Yep. So, and then yep. at that point, you're like, hmm, this is suspicious, but there's not evidence yet. No, it's it not is, the it's, smoking gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's not, you're just like, hmm, it's a bit weird, but, you know, by sus. itself, it's not, it's sus, but it's not proof. <laughs> so, the thing that um, Data Collada looked at is that Excel files actually have history, change history in the metadata. Uh, and they can actually, uh, they actually looked at the metadata to show that these exact um, rows were manipulated, mm. right? So it's not just the data entry error that is very, extremely coincidental. It was actually yep. entered and then modified, right? Yep. And then now that's much more, that is way more of a smoking gun because you can show that somebody induced this effect. 
mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then then it comes out to like you know all the other co-authors say that only Gina touched, uh, only Gino, you know, collected the data. Nobody else, you know, touched the data. Blah blah blah, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So uh, that's one. That's one of the things that they found. Another one that they found. I think it is the same. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think it is the same. Um, the same study. Oh no no no! It is not the same study. It's a different study altogether. Um, so it's not the one that was co-authored with um, Aerially. Um, it's a different study where they essentially study like they basically ask students to either to express their personal um, opinion about a uh, okay more specifically they ask students how they feel about a campus issue mm. and mm. then they ask them to write they ask them to write like for or against their own opinion mm. and then after that they ask students I mean it's 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 it feels really contrived to be honest but I guess like you know you don't have very good proxies for this um, yeah. they ask students to rate um, how they feel about cleaning products, and they use that as a proxy for for measuring, like you know, does does arguing against your deeply held belief make you feel impure? Basically, it's like ah, uh, <sighs> sure. Um, I mean, as as tantalizing as this kind of, I mean, this makes headlines, right? <laughs> Like, yeah, but this is also why STEM scientists, you know, don't really have a high opinion of right. social scientists. Right, right. I mean, if you're talking about something that, like the 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 one about you know self-reporting, how many answers, how many questions you answered correctly, fine. Because, sure. Right. Yeah. You know, all that data is discrete. Sure. But this is a very like uh, I I mean just reading the the experimental design I'm a bit like I'm already iffy about it <laughs> but experimental design aside right um, bear in mind this would have gone through IRB approval you know? right right <laughs> which is another thing which is another thing about Dan Ariely that is worth mentioning um, that he used to be at MIT and MIT fired him I believe because oh. he conducted an experiment without IRB approval interesting so that's well yes okay well yeah let's not even get into that mm-hmm. um, specifically in that experiment that got him f- fired I'm I'm hesitant because I don't have the details at the ready right I, mean, I was mm. did not come in prepared to talk about this I'm just I've just been very um I've just been popcorning this this whole thing, <laughs> <laughs> which I th- I'm sure you will have noticed because I keep sending you links. Um, yes. About about like like oh look at this look at that and like oh yes okay whatever. So, um, in the experiment that got him fired question mark from MIT, he, he administered electric shocks to participants, and he did not get IRB approval for th- for this. And you're like, Ugh. how did this guy Oof. get anywhere close to where he is right now? Oof. And why would Duke hire him after that? Oof. I'm just, yes, okay. 
Yes. And, and Dan Ariely, I mean, like, HBS has put Gino on administrative leave, but Dan Ariely is still happily at Duke. Yep. So, yes. Yeah. And um, no, I've checked no news, no updates about the situation for about a month now. So clearly... Right, yeah. I mean, there's a lawsuit going on, so... Yeah, yeah. I think everyone has gone mum, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but, okay, in the in the arguing against your own position experiment, um, the falsified data comes in the form of participants who reported their class year as Harvard. So mm-hmm. they are, you know, they're just collecting demographic information, right? Like your age, your, your gender, all that stuff. And then they ask, like, which year are you in school? And many reasonable ways to answer this question. You can mm-hmm. put in your matriculation year. You can put in your expected graduation year. You can say freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. You can say one, two, three, four. Somebody put five, apparently. Uh, good for you. Five years in Harvard. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, hey, why, you know, why cut short a good, a good time, Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, no judgment. Sometimes you no, just... No, absolutely not. You just take... As someone who spent four and a half years at undergrad, sure, yeah. Yeah, you know. yeah, exactly. So, um, there is a bunch of students who just wrote Harvard. Yes. Uh, and not, like, actually what year they were. Yes. So, uh, and again, these Harvard respondents, like, literally, quote... Harvard respondents are entirely responsible for the effect. Mm-hmm. Which is comically bad data falsification. And like, yes. you couldn't even be bothered to mm-hmm. actually write years. Just make up some years. It's lazy cheats. So, yeah. It's, it's, it, like, when you look at the the data visualization on data collada it is literally just i mean yeah it's i i, I can't very even visible. i can't even yeah right it's obvious it yeah. is is just patently obvious yes um so i mean these are two of the studies that Gino was that were raised by data collada to harvard that harvard mm. investigated um there is rumors that, you know, Harvard had other evidence besides mm-hmm. what's been expounded in, in Data Collada. Uh, and that came out as a as a result of a long investigative process. Um, and then, and I mean, like, this is, you know, whatever Harvard found, um, there is also more, like, smoking gun evidence, right, that has to do with... Um, that has to do with um, so it turns out that Max Bazerman who is one of the co-authors in the 2012 paper that got retracted uh, twice <laughs> and yep. uh, who is also um, Gino's colleague at HBS mm. so it turns mm-hmm. out that he had misgivings about the data was convinced by his co-authors to go ahead with publishing was then contacted afterwards to you know about um oh uh, no 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 I, I I'm remembering now he was not contacted he attempted to replicate <laughs> he attempted oh. to replicate the study um, huh. it did not replicate 
And then his co-authors on the attempt at replication highlighted some weird data to him. Right. Then he asked his co-authors about it and he said, I think we should retract. Right. And so Lisa Shu agreed with him, right? Lisa Shu being one of the five co-authors. Uh, yeah. And then the other three said no. <laughs> the other three being Dan Ariely, Francesca <laughs> Gino, and Nina Mazur, who, right. as far as we know, has not been accused of any wrongdoing, but yeah. Right? And again, <laughs> Look, it's, 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 it's very hard to say, you know, what your motivations are, right? Yes. But, um, I mean, look, if, if, if all the authors had been forced to sign their names at the top of the paper <laughs> just before publication, maybe we could have avoided all this. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe, right? I mean, like, you know, if you assume in, 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 in perfectly good faith, you can say, <sighs> you can, you can say like, hey, maybe just publish the, just publish the, the, the failure to replicate and then over time, you know, this, this paper will just be consigned to the dustbin of history or whatever. Yeah, whatever. yeah, exactly, yeah. Whatever, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, perfectly, you know. I mean, ninety percent of papers go unread by more than <laughs> five, six right. people. Right. You so know, goodness again, knows, I work in a niche in a field, so right. you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, the two co-authors who wanted to retract were um, outvoted, and then, mm-hmm. <laughs> funnily enough, Max Bazerman, who again works in this field, right? Um, yeah. He he wrote a book <laughs> in twenty twenty two. Which mm. uh, is before all this stuff came out, but, but would have been after Harvard started its, its investigation. investigation, which he would have been, you know, he would probably have been asked like, "Hey, what do you know about this?" So he probably know that it was underway at the time that he was writing the book. Um, but his twenty twenty two book is called Complicit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he actually alludes to this. Where he basically is like, you know, I should have pushed harder. <laughs> I mean, oops. Ah, the man has a sense of humor. Very good. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, if you're curious, I mean, the book covers uh, other types of fraud scandals, such as like the Volkswagen. Um, yes. The the emissions, uh, emissions fraud. Yeah. 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 But okay, it's. It's pretty funny. I mean, the, 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 the whole... Yeah. But it again, I mean, okay, you know, taking a step back from from the integrity of what, what happened, right? It again comes down to the fact that, you know, there have been some... In, in recent years, there have been some really alarming revelations about people at the top of their field having gotten there through mm. unethical means. And it is just... You know, I mean, to a lowly-ass researcher like me, not working in an IV, you know, not working in, like, a big name lab, right? It is just so bloody demoralizing. Right. Right? That, you know, we spend so much time laboring over our work. You know, my, my paper now that's under review has been 10 years in the making. You know, we, I could have, you know, I could have faked something and got it out within a, a year, but no, I've spent 10 years trying to meticulously analyze the data, make sure everything is correct, cross my I's, dot my T's, you know, and then you see these, 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 these clowns, for lack of a better word. I mean, word, I don't know. Like, you know, if you cross your I's and dot your T's, that might get a rejection. <laughs> no, that might get a rejection from the journal, okay? <laughs> right, yes. Right. No, which is exactly the point, right? So peer review, right, is supposed to be how this is supposed to, you know, be caught, right? We catch these problems early on through peer review. But the problem, of course, is that peer reviewers these days don't focus on the raw data, 
they focus on broadly the methods, they focus broadly on sort of the concepts, and the, which is, I guess, is fine. But therein lies the problem, right? You know, if your data is problematic, how, what mechanisms exist for us to catch these things? Right. This is something that I focus a lot on when I review. If the, if the authors, you know, include their raw data, I will interrogate the data. So, you know, there was a recent paper that I was, I was reviewing without giving too much away because of, of course, confidentiality where the, the data table clearly had problems, right? Mm-hmm. It, it reported species that were not supposed to be in the study site and okay. missed out species that were supposed to be in the study site. And so I'm like, okay, look, I get that there is sampling error, right? I get that there are misidentifications, but if you, you know, and, and I'm going to assume, and I think fairly so, that all this was done in good faith, right? right? But, you know, if you're going to be sending this in for publication, right, I'm going to be catching these things out. Right. And, and that will call into question everything downstream from what you have done. Right. And I mean, right. there's another question about the consistency of peer review. Um, mm-hmm. that I, I don't know That's, if you want to get into that. Well, here. also the ethics of peer review, remuneration, all that. I mean, peer review is a, is a dumpster fire, but it's the <laughs> only thing we have right now. It is unfortunately, and I, I say this as someone who actively, I have one paper on my desk right now to peer review. I have one paper that's currently in peer review. You know, it is... It, it is what it is, right? And, and, and there are actually, I mean, to pivot the, the conversation away, uh, despite the fact that we are coming up against the hour, right? There are organizations that are trying to sort of, um, 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 uh, 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 re- sort of, um, to reform the way we do peer review. So the journal eLife, I think, is really interesting. They, I forget what they've done regarding peer review, but they made this big announcement recently uh, about how they are sort of changing the way uh, reviewing is being done. Let me see if I can pull things up. So, okay. A few things. They only review submissions that are already available as preprints. So you have to preprint your data and your results before you submit for peer review, which I think is a good thing because that's transparency. Right. Right. And then you have a locked version that is pre-review in the public record. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, again, we might be moving away from the original thing, but that actually reminds me a lot of, what's his name? Ben Goldacre. Um, mm, yeah. Well, you pre, pre, yeah, uh, bad science and, and bad clinical science trials, right? And bad science and bad medicine. Uh, are the two yes. books that he is most known for. Uh, I don't know if yes. he has written other stuff. Um, He's a clinician scientist at Oxford, yeah. I believe. Yeah. So he uh, is an epidemiologist, studies mm. the spread of disease, uh, a profession that I think many people did not know existed until um, approximately <laughs> three years ago. Um, <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah, I wonder why. So, uh, and because that field naturally overlaps a lot with industry, i.e. bad medicine, right? I.e. pharma. Um, there bad pharma, not bad medicine. Oh, bad pharma. Bad pharma. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Um, he often, I mean, they are looking at more meta, you know, um, at, mm. at, at one, one level higher than an individual study. So they are talking about effects that appear to be present because studies are published whereas the uh, studies that 
do not show an effect are never published because they are regarded as like no one wants to read the paper about the the null hypothesis the being proven right. true yeah. right but yet these are actually really interesting things yes. right? you know, I mean, as, as a scientist this is like yeah, I, I want to know your negative data because fuck I don't want to be barking up the wrong tree right you know doing experiments that give you negative results good grief you know right but it's not sexy for journals to publish that kind of stuff so, correct you know. and so they're, they are trying to encourage an effort to basically it's exactly what you just described so before you conduct the experiment you say you publish what you're going to do then you conduct the experiment, and now there's a record of... Well, this is slightly different. So what eLife is doing is that you, you publish your first draft, essentially, oh, okay. or the okay. submission draft, right? So that, you know, uh, 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 people can... It's not, just, it's not just the reviewers who are officially assigned to review this, but everyone can see your, your work. Right, right, uh, right, as a preprint. Right. right. Of course, the problem becomes that a lot of people confuse preprints with published work and they don't realize that preprints are not peer reviewed. Yada, yada, a different story. Okay. But the one that's controversial is that, um, okay, what, what it's being said here on the website is that eLife, this journal, which is a pretty high impact, really, uh, pretty, pretty big name journal, no longer accepts or rejects papers after peer review. All submissions that are peer reviewed are published as reviewed preprints after the peer review process has been completed. Okay, I think you need to break that down for me because I okay. I'm not quite following. So the what standard this scientific like. process is: I submit a paper, right, okay. and if the editor deems the paper worthy of reviewing, they will send it out to reviewers. Okay. Reviewers will write their comments, be as nasty as they want. It will come back to the authors and the author and, and to the editor, and the editor will make a decision: Do I accept this paper, or do I ask the authors to revise the paper, or do I reject the paper? Right. Right. Now, so the acceptance or rejectance part is purely the purview of the editor, and the editor okay. makes the executive decision: Do I want to accept this paper based on the recommendations? Of the reviewers. Mm -hmm. What eLife is doing is saying, we are taking away this accept-reject function. Ah, I see. I see. Every okay. paper that goes up for review, so stuff that... So bear in mind, there's already a QC process where the editor has to make a decision, is this paper even worthy of review? Right, right. If I were to send a paper to a top-flight evolution journal and say, creationism is real, you know, immediate reject because... Yes. Right? Yes. The, the, unless I have really fucking strong evidence, right? But, you know, on balance, uh, my evidence is probably going to be tissue paper. Yes. Wet tissue paper, a bit at that, right? So, Eli, so th th there is already a big filter, which is that if the paper is deemed worthy of review, meaning that there, you know, there is evidence that the experiments were conducted or analyses were conducted in good faith with some level of scientific rigor, it will be sent out for review. And then what comes back Right, it's not a decision for the editor to make. It will get published post review, right, with a indicator saying, okay, uh, 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 this is the paper that was submitted. These are the reviews. Right, right. Which is very, very radical. Right, and it's actually a really simple change, but very. It, it sets it, up a very different set of incentives, I think. Mm. And then, uh, so the, at the end here, it says, authors can submit a revised manuscript at any time, and the editors will decide if the revised manuscript warrants a new assessment 
on mm. new public reviews, and the right. revised manuscript will also include the recommendations for the authors and the author's response to these. So it's interesting, right? It becomes a bit more like a conversation rather yeah. than just, I publish a paper. Yeah. Um, uh, some people have had misgivings about this, but I've not been following this discussion super right. clearly because I don't really publish in eLife. I mean, I could, but uh, I don't have a paper currently right. uh, being prepared for submission to eLife. But at the same time, could this be the way forward for peer review? I don't know. But it does point to the fact that people are thinking about ways of revising the way in which we engage in the process of peer review. Right. That's interesting because I was actually going to ask, uh, although again, we are coming up on the hour, or we have passed the hour to be honest, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I was actually thinking like, is, like, what's the alternative, right? What's the alternative to peer review? Because it, yeah. it could very easily become a situation of like, what's that Churchill quote about, you know, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others we have tried. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, what's your alternative? And I mean, in the absence of, you know, um, again, all of these have some kind of trade-offs, right? That represent costs as well. Mm. Because if you're talking about, you know, um, the epidemiological um, solution that is being proposed by Ben Golika and others, um, which is that you you describe your methodology. Uh, wait, that's not epidemiology though. What Ben Goldacre is doing is specifically with regard to clinical trials, so drug trials. Okay, yes, yes. That is actually, um, that is a very specific. Uh, and mm. also because drug trials imply a certain methodology as is, right? So. Yes. So you have is, to pre-register your methodology. Yeah. Uh, before you even engage in the trial to Correct. prevent post hoc manipulation of the data to right. improve the uh, to you know to to manipulate the efficacy results of right. your of a drug but I that's think, really important yeah i think the 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 thing that he is looking at is not even fraud per se it is the case where because the null hypothesis is proven true which again for you know in in layman's terms there's no effect the drug does nothing Mm-hmm. Right or rather, rather than saying the drug does nothing because the drug will do something, the drug does not have the expected effect. Correct. Right. So not not that the null hypothesis is proven true, but we fail to reject the null hypothesis. Right. Very right, specific right. statistical yes. language. Okay. Sure. I am not a statistician, <laughs> as we have established many times. Unfortunately, I am statistician adjacent, which is a, a, <laughs> yeah. a cross we I have to fail, bear for the rest of my career. We fail to reject the null hypothesis. Right. So yes. We cannot show that the drug produces um, the proposed the expected hypothet- effect. Yeah, the expected effect. Um, then, for entirely explicable reasons that have nothing to do with fraud, right? Or at the at the scientist level, the scientist is like, "Oh, it's a failed experiment. Don't publish." At the at the pharmaceutical company level, mm. it can look like fraud because then it's like, "Hey." Um, you know, we have several experiments that don't show an effect. One experiment that does, publish that one. Mm-hmm. Right? And then that yep. misleads people into thinking that this is an effective drug when there is more evidence that... Uh, okay, okay. When well, okay, in, in, in more... that case, there is interesting sort of level shades of grey with regard to fraud. Yes. Right? Because... Yes. 
as I talked about just now, you know, every time we get raw data, we have to do some sort of processing of the data, whether right. it's to yes. exclude clearly fraudulent right. or clearly erroneous measurements, right. or you know, cleaning up measurements that that fall outside clearly outside expectations. Right. Now that is where the temptation creeps in to manipulate and the line between sort of outright misconduct and non-misconduct is super blurry. Right. right. In, yeah. Especially in the case of clinical trials where, for example, uh, trial participant A starts on the drug and then drops out mid-trial. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Do I exclude participant A from my sample size, thereby decreasing my sample size? Or do I keep the data in and then how do I code the post dropout data? Right? Do I then right. have to yeah. sub substratify my data based on when individual participants drop out? That's a pain in the ass. Right. And it's going to make our analysis just such a nightmare. Right. This is the These time are... where I have to put in the obligatory XKCD comic. But go on. <laughs> yes. So it is I mean, with clinical trials you're dealing with people and it's oh, I mean in biology we have similar things like oh my field site got bulldozed to build for condos you know <laughs> what do I do with my data um, but it, it really does you know yeah and and you want to force scientists investigators to have some level of transparency so I can see why eLife is doing what they're doing they recognize that more transparency is better um the problem also that I think can come out of this is not just sort of it changes the way the review process uh, uh, happens, but it also changes or requires a change of, in, in, in the way in which we read scientific studies. Yeah. Yep. Where it's not just we read the paper, we analyze the paper, and we go, okay, I, I'm i going to accept this paper and therefore it's good enough. I have to read the reviews as well, really, mm. right? I have to read all of the other metadata, which, you know, in, 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 the, in, in, in today's world where papers have so much metadata, like there are some like science papers where the, the supplementary data is 150 pages long. Oh, right. right. Right, and you're like, how, you know, so... And then, of course, the, the other argument is that, yeah, so what's, what's two more pages when you have 150 pages to mm. read in the first place, right. right? So I think it is interesting. Certainly, this is, is, this is aimed at, at catching uh, specific forms of misconduct. Mm. Um, but I don't know how, whether or not this will catch on. And I don't know sort of the, the, downs, the downstream implications of this as well. Academia being what it is, it will be very slow to change. Mm, yep. Um, and and this will obviously will not you know lead to overnight changes in in the way we do science, the way we do peer review. But clearly, the old method is starting to run up against the challenges of number one. We don't have enough reviewers, mm -hmm. right? Number two, people are producing much more output per unit time than ever before. Right. Some of which will be fraudulent. Some of which. Many, the large majority of which will be genuine, mm. um, and and the old I mean you know digitization of of journals took such a long ass time. Can you imagine you know whether or not this will uh, how this is going to play out? Um, of course, there is the other. Sorry, you got to, got to me started on publishing, which is going to be a bad rabbit hole to go down. Uh, there is also yes. 
the um, the issue of publishers, right, and you know them as publishers as money making entities, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, uh, becoming a, a, a problem as well. The risk of digression, and this is this is it's all it's all sort of coming up as you know the, when you look at it in its totality. Basically, the publishing system for science is broken; it's completely broken, mm. and there is no easy fix. Um, when we're talking about the publishing thing, this 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 is literally happening right now. But um, the journal Biogeography, which is uh, you know a journal that I intend on publishing it at some point, uh, has had all its editors resign because oh they could God. not come okay. to an agreement with Wiley over page charges. Wiley wants to overcharge, right? Uh, and the editors at at, at, at the International uh, Society, the Biogeography Society, said no. We have to keep things, you know, affordable. Mm-hmm. Right, we are not fucking nature where you pay five thousand US dollars to get a paper out. Right, right, right. Because then, what about people in developing countries whose papers we need to publish more? Right, yeah, they're going to be fucked. Yep. Right, because they're not going to have five five k to fork five grand to fork out just to publish their study. Right, or just to get their study reviewed. It's insane. Yeah. Um. So I mean, okay, yeah, this is a big digression, but basically all of this points to how. The reviewing process, the publication process—it's barely holding itself together right. right now. I think. I mean, and economists would say and that the incentives are poorly aligned. Whatever the, mean, the hell that means. I mean, it's basically that you know the publishers <laughs> have a very different set of incentives from the mm-hmm. people who are being who, whose work they are publishing. And bearing in mind that Elsevier right now is one of the, you know, how do you say, the villains. So much money. Just, it's earned so much money, you know, and for articles that we produce, which they do not pay into. Right, right. Which is nuts. I, you know, what kind of a racket are they running, you know? Um, <laughs> it's, it's insane, right? So a lot of people have been, well, there have been a lot of shifts. I think the journal Evolution, which is another big journal in my field, has now shifted to Oxford University Press. Uh-huh. Uh, they've, they've cancelled their Wiley uh, membership. Okay. Um, the society I'm part of, the Wilson Society for Anthology, we use a provider who merely provides like editorial, uh, like um, the publishing service. Okay. So like um, um, the membership portal plus the the uh, manuscript submission and management uh, 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 system, right? The the, the back end system, yeah, and then the publishing system, right? So we have to pay the the publisher basically a nominal fee, but we retain the the, the control over how we use the the platform, right? But I don't know. I mean, I it's, I, I don't know. This is this is you know still very much outside my pay grade. But uh, as I become you know a more senior academic. Right. Something that you know, and I get involved in like professional societies and society work. This is something that is is certainly interesting and 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 will be difficult to manage. I don't see any easy solution out of this. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Sorry, this got very depressing. Yes, <laughs> but it's fine. Um, I mean, more depressing than Francesca Gino, which is saying something. You know, that's true. We didn't even get to the part about the lawsuit. Uh, well, which, you know, allegedly. Uh, okay, yes. So anyway, I mean, I, I, I think if you really, really, really want more information, I mean, there's some stuff... We're not the place to find it. Yeah, there's some stuff in the show notes. I'm going to put in the YouTube link um, that mm. I found. Planet Money? Uh, oh, no, not okay. Planet Money. Planet Money link is there. Um, mm. Yeah. I which, can't see the show notes, by the way, but anyway, yeah. Oh, that's weird. 
Okay, anyway. Um, speaking of anyways. So, mm. there, there is a, this, th- this person just appeared on YouTube with like this 20 minute video about oh, Dan yes, Ariely's squad. Yes. Oh, and, oh, different one. Okay, different guy. Okay. Yeah. And, um, it was very, very, uh, sudden. Uh, it's called The Fall of a Superstar Psychologist. <laughs> and, um, and bec- so apparently this guy started writing or working on the video. Oh, wait, I embedded the video instead of making a bookmark. Let's undo that. Um, this person started working on the video before the news about Gino came out. Okay, I see. <laughs> so I see just notes, yeah. Very good timing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like this person has, well, they, on, on, on YouTube, they're just called Quant. I am hmm. an undergraduate student studying economics and psychology for well, poor person. There, there have been a lot of really interesting people making like, Actual like feature length documentaries on on YouTube. Yeah, but anyway, this is For, twenty minutes. Yeah, twenty. Okay, fine. And this is their first video. Yeah, <laughs> and wow. and it just perfect timing. Sounds like a college class kind of thing, but okay, right. Yeah. But it's really well done. Well, it's really well done, and it, A plus for for this person. Yes, then, yeah. yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and it covers a lot of the evidence, and very well produced and and everything. But anyway. Uh, if you're curious, I'm sure there's a lot of information that you can find. Uh, the data collada reading is actually is very accessible, even if you're not into statistics. Or I should say, mm. if you, even if you are not a statistician. I, I think you kind of have to be into statistics <laughs> to want to read that stuff. Um, oh, statistics is not that hard. Well, okay, no, my students would beg to differ, but that's because right, anyway, uh, um, I'm literally then, grading their statistics right now. Yes. Right. But then more, more to the point that we were talking about at the beginning, I think this is going to be our last episode for the foreseeable mm-hmm. future and probably ever because in the event that we wanted to start another podcast, I think we would probably just reboot instead of... Anyway. And instead of, yeah, <laughs> instead of trying to uh, revive this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for that is we are both very busy. Um, yes. We are both non-breeding professionals. Uh, non-breeding uh, adults. Uh, <laughs> okay, I mean like... In biological... There's a, bi- just, sorry, it's a, it was a, it's a biology meme. Well, let me just put it this way. Like, look, if I had kids, I would be even more busy. <laughs> right? But okay. So, um, yeah. I, I mean... You know, it's the it's the same story like full time job, part time school, full time. I mean, well, I don't even know. Like I, I think I think. Um, well, a PhD, PhD is full time school, full time job. Yeah, essentially, I was like, what, what if, if you know if that's the situation for me? What, what is? I know, right? What well, is yours you know, classified as? So, the PhD is a wonderful situation where your work life balance is exactly one because work is life. Yeah, uh, yeah. So. um and yeah, there's just no time to <laughs> to uh, nope. commit to regularly doing a nope. um, a podcast. So I think this is going to be our last episode, for which you can for find now. the show notes. Yeah, at monkeymind.xyz slash zero three eight. Thirty eight episodes is honestly not a bad run for something like. Mm. We are just doing for Shooting fun. Shooting the shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, that is, that's all. <laughs> is that it? 
<laughs> oh, that's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> well, All right. end of an era. <laughs> uh, that coincides almost exactly with COVID, sure. <laughs> this was a, this is a fun, yeah, I guess, COVID, right. yeah. All right. I'm going to stop recording. Yes.